Last week when we talked about the virtue of diligence, I said that it was closely related to the virtue of generosity, and generosity is going to be the subject of our study today. <clears throat> the scriptures themselves relate diligence and generosity in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul uh, gives to the Ephesians a series of exhortations, but in the middle of that series of exhortations, he says to them, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. So the Apostle Paul says, be diligent so that you may be generous. Now, uh, there's implied in that, of course, that the poor are not always in a position to be generous, at least in a position to be generous with money and uh, other kinds of gifts of that sort, though they may, of course, be generous with volunteer labor and other kinds of non-monetary help. But we should note and uh, accept from the scriptures that one of the purposes of, gener of diligence is generosity. Generosity is something strongly encouraged by the scriptures. In fact, we may say, I think, that generosity is one of the financial obligations that the scriptures impose on us. We have various financial obligations. We have the obligation to maintain our own households. And according to 1 Timothy 5, this household includes our broader family so that the church is not burdened. Um, in the second place, generous, uh, uh, financial obligations include support of the ministry of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul argues that he and Barnabas and all preachers of the gospel have a right to earn their living from the preaching of the gospel. We, therefore, who hear the preaching of the gospel have this obligation. And in fact, Paul argues this obligation partly on the basis of the Old Testament law that the Israelites were to support the Levites and the priests in their ministry at the altar. They had a right to eat of the altar. We have an obligation, according to Romans 13, also to pay our taxes. I don't think we have to speak of a need for generosity there, but we do have an obligation to fulfill in this regard. And we may also say then that there is included in our obligations, our financial obligations, if it is possible, assistance to the poor. This is, I think, stated directly in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29. Here, too, Moses is talking about the whole subject of tithing. We're going to begin at verse 28. And he includes in this uh, tithe support of the poor. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. So every third year, they were to bring out the tithe of their produce and store it up within their gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. 
So it's an obligation insofar as it is possible for us to be generous to the poor, we must be generous to the poor. Now this does not exclude this financial obligation to the poor insofar as we are able, does not exclude other kinds of assistance such as uh, helping out with our labor. Generally, we are to work to earn our own bread, but there are widows and orphans and others who are uh, not able to earn their bread, and it is our business then to care for them, and to care for them not only in financial matters, but also with other kinds of assistance. This assistance in giving them our labor and so on is also part of our generosity. As we look at this subject of generosity in the scriptures, I want to start our study with Proverbs chapter 11, verses 16 to 31. And this passage has three parts to it. These three parts of the passage are fairly clearly indicated in the passage. First of all, verses 16 to 22 are uh, bracketed or bookended by references to a woman. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. And then in verse 22, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Then in verses 23 to 27, we have another bookend kind of arrangement in which uh, desire stands at the beginning and the end. Verse 23, the desire of the righteous man is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. And in verse 27, who, he who earnestly seeks good, that the idea of desire is certainly there, finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. And then verses 28 to 31 are about uh, gain and loss, about uh, the uh, trouble that comes on those who are under the judgment of God for mismanagement of their money. Now that division is uh, pointed out by uh, Waltke and De Silva in their commentary on the book of Proverbs. The first two of these sections that we're looking at clearly put an emphasis on the idea of generosity. Just a few verses in each of those sections, verses 16 and 17, first of all, that first verse, which we already read, a gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. And then verse 17, along with it, the merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. And then again, in verses 23 to 27, the three central verses in that section, 24, 25, and 26, about are about generosity. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will, will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So we're going to look first at verses 16 and 17 in the chapter. 
And then we'll touch lightly on the rest of the verses in that section before we move on to verses 23 to 27. But verses 16 and 17 are the verses that are of particular interest to us here. A gracious woman retains honor, but ruthless men retain riches. Now, the first thing I think that we should note about that is that there is a reference to the woman, a woman, in verse 16, and then reference to a man in verse 17, and that word man in verse 17 is the Hebrew word for male or husband. So that the these two words, man and woman, link these two verses together. They're meant to be taken together. And then in the other half of these verses, the verses use the generic masculine form of the Hebrew, ruthless men, or we might say ruthless ones, retain riches. And then in verse 17b, but one who is cruel troubles his own flesh. So you have the generic masculine about the wicked in these verses. And these uh, two links, these two things, then tend to link these two verses together. So you have the word woman bracketing or bookending, verses 16 to 22. There's reference to woman in each verse. And then you have also links between verses 16 and 17 by the use of the words woman and man and the use of the generic masculine in 16b and 17b. So the first thing that we read about in these verses is a gracious woman. Now that uh, phrase, a gracious woman, is one which we might well use today, but it has a kind of, I think, vague sense today. We might talk about a woman, for example, being gracious if she dresses well or if she conducts herself gracefully, or if she is courteous to others. All of those ideas, I think, are sometimes included in that word gracious. But here, I think that word gracious woman has a very specific meaning. It's a woman who gives generously. The literal Hebrew is woman of grace. And I think that that phrase is very similar to the phrase God of grace. The God of grace is the God who gives freely and generously. The woman of grace is a woman who gives freely and generously. In uh, verse 17, likewise, we read of the merciful man, but the literal Hebrew is again a man of loving kindness, a man of kindness. And this man, then, is the uh, uh, counterpart of the woman of grace. There's a woman of grace and a man of loving kindness. And again, the reference is to a man who gives, who gives to others, who uh, shows benevolence towards his fellow men. On the other hand, the two verses speak of the wicked, And these men are first called ruthless in our translation. Now, the Hebrew word that's used there is a somewhat rare word, but it's often translated in the Old Testament as terrifying. 
You find it, for example, in Isaiah 13, verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible or the terrifying. That's our word. And I think that's really the idea here. These are terrifying men. And they are terrifying exactly because they are mean-spirited, because they are not generous. The poor stay away from these kinds of men. They know that these men, if they um, have any dealings with them, will be more likely to take advantage of them than to help them out. They are therefore terrifying to the poor. And in uh, verse 17, these men are called cruel. And this is a word which is indeed usually translated throughout the um, Old Testament as cruel. But the theological word book of the Old Testament defines this word cruel then as lacking compassion or merciless. So these are men who are terrifying and men who are cruel or merciless, who lack compassion. So those are the kinds of people we're talking about. On the one hand, the generous. On the other hand, the mean, the cruel, the terrifying. And we may say of the first class that in Proverbs, of course, that first class is also the righteous. The righteous are gracious and the righteous are merciful. Because Solomon is not talking about natural benevolence, as Bridges says here, but he's talking about Christian or spiritual benevolence. He's talking about the righteous man who is wise, who who knows the fear of the Lord. And when he talks about the ruthless and the cruel, he's talking about the wicked, those who are not wise, and those who do not fear the Lord. Now, what is said of these men? Well, first of all, it's said of the woman, the gracious woman, that she retains honor. And this is usually taken to mean, and I think probably does mean, that the woman who is generous to others uh, retains uh, the esteem of her uh, companions, of her household, of the women and men of her city, or whatever it may be, and even retains the approval of God. But the, uh, uh, and then in verse 17, the man of kindness, it is said, recompenses his own soul. Our translation has he does good for his own soul, but the Hebrew word is actually recompense. God pays us back. God recompenses us for our good works. I do not mean by that, and the scriptures do not mean by that, that our good works merit with God, but God himself is generous. God himself gives freely, and he gives to us gifts, grace. In the context of our obedience to him and our love for him and for our neighbor, he shows us his grace. And this is a recompense, a paying back, not earned paying back, but nevertheless a recompense according to our works, a reward that is not of merit, but of grace. 
And so those who give more generously receive a greater reward than those who give less generously. As uh, Jesus indicates about the woman who put her might into the treasury. But the wicked, the ruthless, or the terrifying, verse 16 says, retain riches. Now I think it's very striking that in verse 16, Solomon uses the word retains twice. He uses it first of the gracious woman and then of the terrifying one. The gracious woman retains honor. The terrifying one retains riches. She preserves the esteem of those around her. He retains just his riches, and that's all he retains. It's clearly implied that this is all the recompense he receives. There is no other recompense for him. He gets no honor. He gets no approval from God. He gets no recompense other than the retention of his riches. His riches are very important to him. He wants to hang on to those riches, not to lose them, not to give them away in any way whatsoever. And so his recompense is at best that he, for the time being anyway, retains them. The second thing that's said about the wicked is that the cruel troubles his own flesh. Now that word troubles here is a word that uh, has two different meanings in the Old Testament. If you look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 11, you see one meaning of that, I think, of the word. Proverbs 5, verse 11, And you mourn at last, Solomon says, when your flesh and your body are consumed. It refers to one's own body. But it can also refer to relatives, to those who are uh, kin. In Leviticus chapter 18, you find the word used a number of times. But we'll refer to just one verse, verse 12. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. That is, she is of the same flesh as your father. So this is, um, this is a word which can mean, and also in this context, I think, probably does mean that the wicked man, the cruel man, the man who withholds his wealth from others and reserves it for himself, troubles not only his own flesh, but troubles his relatives, troubles his household. In fact, later on in this chapter, Solomon says exactly that. Verse 29, whoever commits any of these abominations, excuse me, that's Leviticus 18, Proverbs 11, verse 29. Solomon says, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. So this cruel man troubles his own house. I think that's the idea here. When it said he he troubles his flesh, he troubles his own house. He affects negatively not only himself, but his whole household by his stinginess and his meanness towards those who are poor. 
And that is, of course, consistent with the principle of the second commandment. God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him. So that's what we wanted to say, especially about verses 16 and 17. Just briefly then about verses 18 to 21, these are about the rewards of righteousness and wickedness. And especially in this context, righteousness and wickedness in this matter of generosity versus stinginess or meanness. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Those who are of a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are his delight. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity of the righteous will be delivered. Now that leaves in this first section of the unit we're studying, just verse 22. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. That is to us, I think, a very shocking comparison. What Solomon says here is that a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a pig with a gold ring in its nose. That's a very shocking comparison. But it does show us what, how much value God places on mere physical beauty. Mere physical beauty Physical beauty in a woman who lacks discretion is of no value at all to God and ought to be then of no value also to us. But he says of this uh, lovely woman, this beautiful woman, that she lacks discretion. She lacks discernment. And in the context, I think, this probably means that this lovely woman is all wrapped up in her own loveliness. She can think about nothing else. She is essentially selfish. She's all wrapped up in herself. She, she lacks discretion. She lacks the discernment to say, my beauty is really not very important. And so... She makes a thing of her beauty. She makes an idol of her beauty, in fact. And she becomes one, then, who does not give to others, who has nothing to give to others, but who always takes instead. I think that's how that verse fits into the context. So there's, in those first verses, then, strong condemnation of those who are stingy and those who are mean, and strong encouragement to us to be generous towards our neighbors, towards those who are poor. Again, in verses 23 to 27, we have a, um, an encouragement to this matter of generosity. As we noted already, there's a, a bookending of these verses in verses 23 and 27 with references to desire. But within that those bookends, we have clear references to the whole virtue of generosity. In fact, I think we may say that this 
section is constructed chiastically. Verses 23 and 27 go together. Then within those you have antithetical um, proverbs. There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. That's verse 24. And verse 26, the people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So you have this contrast between the righteous and the wicked, between the generous and the stingy. And then between those, you have a synonymous parallelism in verse 25. The generous soul will be rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So you have four statements then about the righteous and about the generous, and you have two statements about the wicked or those who withhold more than is right. Let's look first at the generous here. First of all, it's said of the generous that they are those who scatter. They are like those, uh, uh, like a farmer sowing his field and scattering seed over his field. They give with a certain abandon almost, the, uh, Solomon implies. So these are men who scatter their wealth. Secondly, it's said of these men that they are, or these people, that they are generous souls. Verse 25. The literal Hebrew here is soul of blessing. And again, I think the idea is the same as the woman of grace or the man of loving kindness. This is a soul who blesses, who blesses others by giving gifts to them in their need. Thirdly, it's said of these people that they give water. That's also in verse 25. He who waters will also be watered himself. And finally, it's said of them in verse 26 that they sell their grain. Blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. And I think in the context, the plain implication of this is that he does not keep the grain for himself. He may find a use for it for himself, or perhaps he might be able to sell it somewhere else for a higher price. But this is a man who takes note of uh, the need of others and who says, I could keep this for myself and profit from it. I could perhaps sell it for a higher price somewhere else. But I have here some people who have need, and I can sell it to them for a lower price. I will not perhaps get as much as I would like to get for it, but I can help others at the same time. So I, I think that's the kind of idea that Solomon has in mind here. So this uh, generous man is a soul of blessing. He's one who scatters his wealth. He gives water. He sells his grain. But the wicked man here withholds more than is right or more than is upright. He has enough to give, and therefore he's under obligation to give according to the law of God, but he will not do it. He is not upright. He will not practice uprightness. He withholds instead of giving. And in verse 26, he withholds his grain also. That is, he could sell his grain, 
but he will not. He sees that it, he can profit more by retaining it for himself or perhaps by selling it for a higher price somewhere else. So he's mean, he's stingy, he's ungenerous towards the poor. Now, what God says about these different kinds of people is that each receives an appropriate reward. And we should note that the emphasis is on an appropriate reward. There is one who scatters, that is, he gives out of his wealth, and he gives generously out of his wealth, and yet he increases more. Instead of growing poor, God blesses him with abundance. The same idea is found in verse uh, 25. The generous soul will be made rich, or even better, the generous soul or the soul of blessing will be made fat. And this idea of being fat, of course, is being filled with the good gifts of God. The, the man who waters will also be watered himself. He, he gives water to others, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, when he, he commends his own people, the righteous, for saying that they gave him water to drink when he was thirsty. He gives water, and he is then himself watered by the blessing of God. And in verse 26, blessing will be on the head of him who sells his grain. The people who are beneficiaries of his generosity bless him in the name of God. But the wicked also receive appropriate rewards. The selfish man ends in poverty. That is, he retains his wealth for himself, but God takes away from him even what he has. Notice that in Verse 24, there is one who withholds more than is upright, but it leads to poverty. He wants to be rich. He withholds his wealth. He is not generous with his wealth, and it leads into poverty for him. God begins to pass judgment on him in his wickedness and to take away from him what he has. Ultimately, of course, God will take away from him everything that he has, and there will be nothing left for him at all. His wealth will not go down with him into the grave. And this wicked man also receives cursing from those whom he will not help. The people will curse him who withholds grain. Now, there's also those bookends here. And those bookends, again, I think, point us to the idea of rewards. The desire of the righteous is good. That is, a righteous man, and in this context, that righteous man is also one who is generous, a righteous man desires good. He seeks good. He wants to be doing good. And he wants, through that doing of good, to obtain also the favor of God. He seeks the favor of God. So he seeks both to do good and to obtain good for himself. But he knows that the obtaining of good is by the doing of good. 
not in any other way. But the expectation of the wicked is wrath. That is the expectation of the wicked, and in this context, the, um, the wicked is the ungenerous person, is wrath. He has an expectation. It's not his desire. Notice that that second half of the verse does not talk about the desire of the wicked. It talks about his expectation. His desire is certainly not wrath. His desire is uh, abundance. But his expectation, even in the secret places of his own heart, is wrath. And verse 27 then on the other end of the passage, he who earnestly seeks good seeks favor. Our translation has finds favor, but the Hebrew is actually seeks. He who earnestly seeks good seeks favor. That is, the righteous man knows that there's no shortcut to the favor of God. There's no way of obtaining that favor uh, automatically, The way to the favor of God is to seek good and to seek that good earnestly. To seek to do good, first of all. And he then is the one who is at the same time as he is seeking good, seeking the grace of God. And verse, the last part of the verse, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. So this is the man then who, by retaining his wealth, by preserving it for himself, is seeking evil and will therefore obtain trouble. Now verses 28 to 31, though they do not speak in such explicit terms of generosity and meanness or grasping character, are nevertheless relevant here. He who trusts in his riches will fall. The mean and grasping person is a person who trusts in his riches. He looks to his riches for his security and for his happiness. That's why he wants to retain them. He trusts in his riches. He will fall. His riches will not preserve him. His riches will not keep him from the judgment of God, will not keep him from death. Ultimately, as Psalm 49 makes very clear, no riches are sufficient to redeem anyone from the consequences of sin. The righteous, however, will flourish like foliage. They will become like green olive trees in the house of God. Verse 29, he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. And remember, we related this to that earlier verse in which we said that the man who troubles his flesh is the stingy man. Well, this man is troubling his household in order to retain his riches. And the result of it is that he inherits the wind. He gets nothing from it. It is all vanity and vexation of spirit. And the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. This is another thing that Psalm 49 actually says. The upright will have dominion over the wealthy wicked in the morning. 
So the fool becomes servant. The fool who seeks to exalt himself by his riches becomes servant to the wise of heart. Verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. So the righteous man bears fruit and his fruit becomes a means of life, not only to himself, but to others. And he who wins souls is wise. By his good works, he wins souls to God and shows his wisdom. And then finally, in verse 31, if the righteous will be recompensed on the earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. Now, some take this to mean if the righteous will be recompensed for evil on the earth, God even uh, judges us and chastens us for the evil we do, how much more then will God judge the ungodly and the sinner? That's a possible interpretation of the passage. Another possible interpretation is that Solomon is simply saying, God recompenses the righteous on the earth. He recompenses them according to their good works. He will also certainly, therefore, recompense the ungodly and the sinner according to their works. They, in fact, earn their recompense, though the righteous do not earn their recompense, but receive it instead as a gift of God's grace. So the the whole point, then, that we want to make from this passage in uh, Proverbs is that uh, generosity is a gift, is a, a virtue, rather, that's strongly encouraged by our God. He wants his people, he wants us to be generous. And he encourages us even to be generous beyond our means. Think again of the woman who put her might into the temple treasury, who received such commendation from our Lord Jesus Christ. And think also of Paul's strong commendation of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, who gave beyond their power to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. That's the message then, be generous. Be generous to the poor. Be generous wisely. Be generous carefully. But nevertheless, be generous. Your God has been generous to you. You should be generous to others. May God bless you with his word.